Hello and welcome to Warehouse 69, the Fediverse's finest Warehouse 13 watch podcast. I'm Princess Grace, with me as always is my co-host Timmy. How you doing today, Timmy? Not too bad. How are you today, Grace? Well, I suppose I can't complain, though. Uh, there certainly is a lot to talk about this episode, which, as a podcast host, I guess is a blessing. This and, is an episode. Yep, and that episode in question is Season 3, Episode 8, the 40th Floor, directed by Chris Fisher, written by Benjamin Robb, and Derek A. Hughes, original air date August 29, 2011. Would you believe that we opened on a recap? Oh, you better believe it's a recap. It recaps who the eight, the regents are, it recaps who Stanley Sikowski is, uh, and I think that's about it. We go right into... Sally torturing someone using the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory doorknob. Not just someone. Our friend, the regent who was uh, the waitress when uh, Artie went and met everyone. Theodora. Mm-hmm. Not Theodora. She ruled. She was the, the one regent with a job in the one scene where you see them. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. That's the thing about Warehouse 13, is, like, most of their interesting characters do die. Yeah. Uh, we rapidly find out that it's not just her. She's being, uh, tortured by the, uh, triangle shirtwaist doorknob. I think you just said mm-hmm. that, actually. Yep. Uh, but, uh, four other regents also recently met an untimely death due to artifacts. Probably all at Sally's hand. Mm-hmm. Sally or her, um, mysterious boss. Yep. Who's always depicted as sitting. Yep, and I think in this episode we even see him in a wheelchair. Oh, okay, yeah, I wasn't sure if they revealed that yet. He's, uh, he (laughs) is in a wheelchair. Yep. (laughs) And, uh, it's another one of those, something I hear folks talk about a lot, it's, you know, it does not look like a particularly comfortable wheelchair. It is definitely like we, the prop department, have a wheelchair. It doesn't look like the comfortable one you would use if you were a secret crime boss who needs a wheelchair to get around. Yeah, I mean, it, if if wheelchairs are life, you you probably ought, if you have the opportunity, you ought to invest in a pretty decent one. Mm-hmm. I. You know how there are a bunch of bars that run that uh, Chive TV, Internet TV constantly? I don't know what that is. Okay, Uh, it's literally just, like, popular short videos of, like, sports or whatever. Just on constant repeat so that you, uh, anytime you look at the TV, it's something mildly interesting. Alright, fair enough. I, uh... Not too long ago, I saw a video on that, and I'm like, hey, I know that guy. Because it was some dude tearing up a uh, skate park in a wheelchair, and I do know that guy. <laughs> like, Hell yeah. I I met him at the, uh, the wheel mill in Pittsburgh, a very cool place to go ride uh, mountain bikes and BMX bikes and unicycles. Uh, oh, hell yeah. And wheelchairs, if that's what you're into. Yeah. I mean, he was the only guy I've ever seen do it, but he's very good at it. Extreme wheelchairing. It rules. Rad. 
And uh, I think then we cut to the start of the episode proper. Well, I guess the knob torture was that. Knob torture means something else. <laughs> but um, uh, we cut to the warehouse where uh, uh, our our fearless heroes are, and including a pink streak, Claudia. She hasn't had a streak for a few episodes. Uh, have tell us just that that uh, several of our several regions have in fact uh died all uh, at Sally's hands at alias is traceable to her and uh so they conveniently go find Sally yeah it seems uh, like i i know that they have the computer that magically does the thing and they have claudia who also magically does the thing yeah but they just found Sally like so easily yep. yeah oh i guess she was just in this bar in atlanta right which it's worth noting being from Atlanta is a cover story. Yeah. Like, she is not actually, uh, she's putting yeah, on the she... accent, and, like, maybe she does actually work for the FBI in Atlanta, but, like, it, it's so bizarre that they find her without any sort of effort. Yeah, they don't even, like, do the, uh, oh, we're we're tracking your phone or whatever that they do. Right, they never even address it. They're just like, uh, they're just like, we're why gonna go get Sally. Hey, we got yeah, Sally. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, like if why didn't they do this sooner? They could have saved Theodora. Right. Oh, <sighs> bizarre. Like the moment they found out that uh, she, like, what was it? Last grab episode, the, they found out that yeah. she was the bad. Like, yeah, go get she her. Grab the doorknob. Yeah. Instead, what they changed? just sort of let her do her thing. Yeah, you waited for five other people to die. <sighs> uh, but they confront her in a bar. Uh, and uh, every scene in this bar it has a, a lot of bisexual lighting going on. It's a very <laughs> strange choice. Like, it's all very dark and moody. Everyone's lit blue from one side, pink, from, pink or purple from the other. Which I guess makes sense because this is a bar, but, like, it continues happening, even uh, later in the episode. It's specifically a bisexual bar. Yeah. <laughs> Care very carefully positioned lighting to make sure this always happens. I mean, that would be a, that would be a good gimmick for a bar, though. I would appreciate oh, yeah. that. Agreed. Uh, yeah, just, like, rows of LEDs angled in position so that it's always bisexual lighting. Let's do yeah. it. Yeah. We're gonna start uh, a bar here at uh Warehouse 69. Yeah. Oh, you get thirsty talking about all these pot all these TV shows. And uh if I were drinking this episode would probably go down easier cuz uh there are some parts to it. Yep. But uh but uh Pete and Artie I believe, kind of sidle up next to Sally at this bar, say like, "Hey, we know you, Pete and Steve. We know you, the the two most able-bodied tough men of the yeah, that, uh, of the warehouse." That that makes sense. Pete and Steve uh, get up next to her, say basically, "Hey, we know you killed Theodora. Come quietly and give us the knob." And uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm leaning into it now. There's the knob is not going to be all that important for most of the rest of the episode. Don't it's gonna go away soon enough. 
But uh, basically, Sally, like, realizes she's been made, um, hits Pete and Steve in the face and just fucking books it. Right. She immediately overpowers the two most able-bodied male uh, warehouse agents that exist. Yeah, she she does kind of take them by surprise. I think she, like, acts like she's going along with it. It's like, oh, be gentle with me. I am still a lady. And that, you know... Bam, pow, the th- got him. Yeah, but everything they know about her leading up to this is she just killed a bunch of warehouse regents. Like, yeah, she's, they should she's at not least going to like this. Yeah, and in fact, uh, basically she runs outside, Micah's there, Tesla's her. Micah flips up the sunglasses on part of her glasses. I I love this about Micah. It it's a thing they haven't done much with her before, but they they do it a lot after. The her clip-on sunglasses are a good bit. Yeah, like it's like the only other the only other touchstone I have for that is Dale Gribble. So it's a it's a weird fraternity she's joined. <laughs> they're endearingly dorky. Yeah, they're they're a very Micah thing to do. Yes. They're very practical, they're not very cool, but Micah would think that they're cool. Yeah, I I have noted that Micah girl bosses her with the Tesla. I, <laughs> yeah, like, I, I actually wrote girl boss elsewhere in my notes about something else, which is very funny. And, uh, yeah, Pete and, Pete concedes that yes, we should have Tesla'd her in the first place. Right. And, uh... We also, we the audience get a shot of a mi- of Pete noticing a mystery man in a car, seeing all this going down and then driving away. And then they just sort of relocate to inside of the bar where no one is anymore. Yeah, there, there was apparently no bartender here, no patrons. They, they just, which, like, paid but, the bartender to go away, maybe? Because, like, it, A, it's the middle of the day. But then, like, why was Sally alone at a bar in the middle of the day? Right. She she does have her day job, probably. Yeah, yeah. Shouldn't she be, like, being talked to by a mysterious man or... Right. or doing FBI, FBI things at her cover job? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why is she at a bar in the middle of the day? Which, I don't know that much about bars, but don't they usually open in the evening? I mean, most of them are open, but they don't expect anyone to walk in in the middle of the day. Yeah, it's like noon. Yeah, like... You're allowed to go have a beer at at a bar at noon, but expect it to be empty. There will be exactly one person there serving beers. Yeah. And they'll be real weirded out that you showed up. Yeah, it's in like a pretty big place. Maybe it's like a bar and grill type situation. But even then, it's like, if she was eating lunch, there's no food in front of her. I don't even think she had a drink when they showed up. Right, yeah, she's just chilling. Yeah, she's just... Sitting there, I guess. Maybe she's doing uh, surveillance for her FBI job. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, but, uh, oh, and so they, they, yeah, they bring her back into the bar. Uh, S- Sally is like, what are you going to do, torture me? And Artie says, oh, we don't need to torture people. We have Harry Morton Stanley's map that we put your hand on and it tells you where you've been recently. Right, and not only does it tell you where you've been, it works out what matters to us, because it puts one X on the map. Yep, X that marks the spots. Which, if you made a map of places people have been, 
One X doesn't even make sense unless it's the place they are right now. Yeah. People are continuously places. Yeah. Like <laughs> they aren't they aren't in discrete places. They are continuously in between places anytime they're not at a place. Yeah. You need lines if you're going to track someone on a map. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. But here it is, X marks the spot. Um, yeah, this map told us everything we needed to know. And speaking of bisexuality, I looked up Henry Morton Stanley's Wikipedia page, and um, the rest of the sentence is really heavy, and I'm not going to read it, but it does have the phrase incontrovertibly bisexual. Hell yeah. We stand an incontrovertible <laughs> bisexual. <laughs> uh... uh the rest of that sense is very problematic, so I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah, we can... But like, because um, that's what happens when you grow up poor and a bastard in 1800s Wales. Yeah. Yeah, it he, could happen. Yeah. yeah. He he is... The nicest thing I can say about him, or at least is the, the closest thing I can say about a fun fact to this man, is that he was the one who said Dr. Livingstone, I presume. Okay. Uh, How is he, this a famous he, phrase? Um, blah blah blah. He was a journalist, explorer, colonial administrator, author, and politician. So you know, piece of shit. I mean, yeah, you who just was, had to say colonial administrator to get that. Yeah, one. <laughs> who was who was famous for his exploration of Central Africa, Africa, and his search for missionary and explorer David Livingstone, who he later claimed to have greeted with the now famous line, "Doctor Livingstone, I presume." Okay, I mean. Cool, I guess. Yeah, so he's not a famous thing, but, like, he was, um... Just British dudes being dudes. <laughs> yeah, like, he, um... Uh, this is At the very... Yeah. The Wikipedia page has a lot of apologia for him. He sure did, uh... At the very least, he seems to have... Appreciated the people he was there to colonize. Very strange. Doesn't matter. Um, well, it does matter that he was shitty, but if we talk about every shitty thing that happens in this episode, we'll be here all day. Right. I There's, well, there's more directly shitty things to talk about. Right. He, he I feel like he, at the very least, inspired, uh, was it Prince Henry, the one that got lost in the Dakar rally? In Perry, Dakar. I don't know what that, that doesn't mean anything to me, so... I'll take your word there, for it. There's a rally across northern Africa, and uh, one of the one of the queen's idiot fail sons in the 80s decided he was going to race in it, and got so hopelessly lost that like four militaries started searching for him. Ah, oh, that's hilarious. Because <laughs> he didn't know how to read a fucking map. Ah, uh... he was inspired by the. Uh, by the exploits of our British colonial administrators of the past. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ah, uh, it's very funny. Uh, podcast that would straight up kill Prince Philip. Ah. <laughs> uh, oh. Yes. Uh, anyways. Uh, <sighs> So, already, so, 
uh, this map shows us uh, a building. Is that what you're saying? Right. Uh, so they they take a good look, they get the address, and they head off that way. It's very important. Yeah. We learn that it's address... the address that Theodora uttered before she was uh, brutally murdered. Yes. Which, come to think of it, it's weird that like this episode opens with torture absolutely working. Right. <laughs> I mean... So... Let's go on a, a little bit, and then we'll get back to that. Yeah, and and mind you... Because throughout the episode, torture only works. Yeah, like it's... <laughs> like, mind you, mind you, Theodora dies right after, like, the knob kills her. So, like, there was really no reason for her to tell the truth. She should have just, like, either stuck to her guns or said, you know, 69... 69 Boater Street. Right. <laughs> at, at least go out being cool. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so Artie and Micah run off to the address that they, that is found. Yep. And, uh, and find that there are armed guards there. Yep. Already walks in, he uh, flashes his NSA badge, and uh, tries to, like, talk his way in, and uh, they're like, you know, fuck off, we don't care who you're with. Yeah. I, I don't, I would not think of the NSA as the kind of place that gives badges out, but it's it's also possible it's not a real badge. Right. I mean, the NSA probably gives out badges. Who, who doesn't like a good badge? <laughs> Like I, I googled NSA badge and I'm getting, I'm getting a lot. Of, I'm getting you know do. Well, no, here's something that looks like a badge. A lot of these are, they look like challenge coins. Oh, and here's a, here is a prop on some prop website, for yeah. All right, I'm finding some, at least some like AliExpress listings and prop websites selling. NSA badges. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the NSA has a whole ton of field operatives, so there's probably no. not a whole lot of badges running around. Yeah. Because, like, why would you want a badge for your desk job? Get a, get one of those NFC yeah. tags. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, the first, yeah. Because a lot of what I'm seeing are, like, you know... Yeah, like, the, the badge you would wear around the office's ID, which you absolutely would have. Right. But Artie's carrying, like, a big, shiny gold police badge. Right, which is certainly a lot more useful if you want to convince a guard to let you through. Yeah. But, yeah, they they don't care. Artie changes his mind about the approach immediately, and everyone's caught a little off guard at Artie just giving up. Yeah, and then he asks Claudia to Tesla grenade them. Right. He points out that uh, guards don't normally carry uh, what he refers to as Colt 45s, mm -hmm. which is interesting. Colt 45, the malt liquor, is named after a football player who played for the Colts. Uh, there is a revolver cartridge called the 45 Colt. Mm -hmm. And by extension, the uh, Colt Single Action Army is possibly referred to as a Colt 45. Mm -hmm. uh, the guns they have are 1911s, which are made by Colt and chamber a 45 caliber bullet, 
but I don't think they're traditionally what you would call a Colt 45. Yeah, I, uh, I'm looking at a thing right now. It's some bullshit core answer, so, like, don't, uh, take this with a grain of salt, but, uh, Colt 45 is a malt liquor and has nothing to do with firearms or ammunition. You're thinking of the 1911 pistol, which does, in fact, use a 45 cartridge. Right, but interestingly, I don't even think that that's the most common, like... Yeah. If you refer to something as a Colt 45, it's probably chambered in 45 Colt, which those are not, because that's an old black powder cartridge. (laughs) (laughs) Uh... Like, yeah, that's, that's every revolver from, like, a very long time ago, but... Yeah, like, and these are not that, these are, you know... Yeah. These are guns developed in 1911. Hence the name. Mm-hmm. By Colt. So, in fairness, there is an argument to be made there. Mm-hmm. But it's probably not the most correct one. Yeah. And, uh... Yep. Uh, so, and they... Yeah, so, they all turn around to leave, go through the revolving doors. Claudia... Keeps going around, loves a Tesla grenade, and zaps all the guards. Right. And they immediately discover that these guards have tattoos saying, Oh yeah, we work for the warehouse. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is not something you should have tattooed on you. (laughs) Yeah. it's If I was part of a secret society, I would simply not tattoo its eyeball on my wrist. Right. And these guys aren't even, like, a part of it. They're hired guns. They yeah. probably have some idea, but I, based on the way the warehouse operates, there's very little reason for them to know what the warehouse does. Yeah, like, yeah, it's made very clear that, like, we we don't travel with a lot of security. We're not the president. We try to keep a low profile. Right. They probably have security that works directly for them. Yeah, but like, if like, Mr. Dickhead, if like Mr. Dickhead Security Chief, who yeah. we meet. Yeah, if you're good enough in that field, people who hire you probably don't tell you a whole lot, and you go, Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's on a need-to-know basis. Right. You don't need to know. Your job is to, like, be here and don't let anyone through, even if they say they're law enforcement. Your job is to smuggle Carlos Gosen out of Japan. I gotta say, one of the last things I expected the U.S. uh, government to do was send two citizens to go serve time in a Japanese jail for helping the CEO of Nissan escape the country. What? You didn't hear about that? No, what the fuck? So, the quick recap is Carlos Gosen... uh, in charge of Nissan and Renault. They were strategic partnership. He's good at making cars, according to mm-hmm. people. Uh, he's The story is he's been underreporting his income to the Japanese authorities for a very long time and therefore has done go-to-jail tax crimes. Yeah. Uh, he was in jail awaiting trial... The Japanese legal system is incredibly fucked. Yeah, I've played Ace Attorney. So they can just throw you in jail for an exceptionally long time before your trial? I mean, we do that in the United States, too. 
Yeah, uh, especially in California. Uh, but yep. like in Japan, they don't have to do anything for like twenty or more days, mm-hmm. just as like their basic rule, and then they can just tack on an additional charge and re reset the clock. Mm-hmm. And then, so they yeah, they can hold you for you, years without yeah. you ever seeing a courtroom. Yeah, and even when you do go to court, it's extremely efficient. Trials are very short, and you will probably go to jail. There's like a ninety some percent chance you will be found guilty. Right, but that's because they had all that time to do their investigation while you were in jail. <laughs> no, <laughs> so eventually, uh, goes and gets out of jail. Because he uh, gets in front of the court and is like, dude, I'm not a flight risk. Look at me. I'm an important businessman. Of course I'm not a flight risk. Mm -hmm. And then immediately flees the country. (laughs) Mm -hmm. As one does. (laughs) Yeah, he hires an ex-special forces dude in the U.S. to charter a flight, uh... Stuff him in a large instrument case, put him on a private plane to Lebanon. (laughs) He gets to Lebanon and is close enough to the Beirut explosion for his apartment to be damaged. Jesus. (laughs) Like, immediately leaves Japan to have a a building go up in a giant explosion near him. (laughs) Ah... And yeah, Japan was very upset about this. I believe they've gotten Gozen back in the country. I'm not totally sure about that one, though. Lebanon doesn't really uh, extradite to Japan very readily, Mm -hmm. which is why he was there. He's also a citizen. Uh, But the U.S. totally agreed to turn over two U.S. citizens who did, uh, did special forces shit all on their own in Japan. Mm-hmm. Which, like, if you're listening and you have the skill set to do that, don't expect the country to come by and save your ass. But I'm shocked the country didn't come by and save these guys' asses. <laughs> uh, the, look, the U.S. only... the U, If you decide to invade The Hague, the U.S. is A-OK with that. Right. Ah. Uh. Yeah, if you want to overflow a, overthrow a uh, South American government, the U.S. is probably okay with that if you're good at it, but they might leave you hanging if you're really bad at it. Yeah. <laughs> God, no, I was all ready to talk about, like, Matt Gates being in the news again. Yeah, this Carlos Gosen stuff isn't, like, particularly recent. Like, they, re- they returned these guys... To well, returned is a strong word. They showed up long enough to stuff a dude in a uh, instrument case yeah. and leave. But they sent these guys to Japan, and I was genuinely shocked. It, it happened like a month ago after they held them in America for like two months, trying to work out if they were going to extradite. Christ, why are we on this? Oh yeah, because uh. That's a good question. <laughs> yeah, I have uh, no idea how we got there. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, hired goons protecting the protecting the regents. That's uh, it. Yeah. And uh, da da da. 
And then Claudia Teslagrades, the guards, they go into the building where they know that uh, the regents are meeting on the 40th floor. Uh, they access the security cameras, find out that Sally was here earlier with an accomplice. And uh, then we cut back to Steve interrogating Sally. In the, again, in the bar, like in the same bar with the incredibly bisexual lighting. Yeah, they just convinced the bartender to leave. They don't take Close, her anywhere. Lock up the door. Whatever. Yeah, like, fine. It doesn't really make any sense, but, uh, uh Yeah, and there's bartenders a weird thing don't where, like, generally just leave because you ask nicely. Yeah, it's very strange, because, like, the bar... We keep saying the bartender, but, like, we don't... We never see a bartender. Yeah, we're not... For all we know... <laughs> they for didn't all we know this... cast a bartender. Yeah, like, for all we know, this bar was closed. Sally was hanging out in there. And then Pete and Steve and Micah show up. Yeah, it's a little bit strange, but it's a... It's a nice environment for an interrogation. Yeah, and then... So, we have Steve interrogating Sally... Again, extremely bisexual lighting. Everyone is lit, like, in the dark. The only light is from a blue source on one side and a pink source on the other. And Sally immediately, uh... What does she have to say about Steve's sexuality? Uh, it's... Like, so... I'm not, I don't 100%, I remember what what happens after that, but she's basically saying, like... Hey, um, the warehouse aren't the good guys you think they are. I have proof. And then Steve says there might be something else in there, but Steve says, I mean, like, Sally, even if I were into women, you would turn me gay? Yeah, yeah. She says something, and he's just like, yeah, even if I weren't gay, you would turn me gay. Which is bizarre, because she's like, She's bad, not unattractive. Like, yeah, yeah. It's... That's not what turns people gay. Because, it, I mean, that's not, like, that's not how that works. But also, like, even if it were, like, meeting one bad person, like, your sexuality would flip constantly if every time you met a bad person of the sex you're attracted to, you jumped ship. Yeah. Like, <sighs> The only winning move is to be bisexual. <laughs> yeah, like, you can be bi or you can be ace. Uh, uh, it's it's very strange. Like, it's a weird thing for Steve to say. It's almost as if, like, hey, do people remember that Steve's gay? Let's remind them. Right, let's make sure this is clear. Uh, uh, but Mrs. F shows up. Yep. And, uh, yep, and, uh, yeah, I don't have anything else. So, yeah, before she shows up, um, there's a scene of Claudia, uh, so we have Claudia and Pete, like, oh, Sally leaves her phone on the bar. She smashes it on the bar. Smashes her phone, and, uh, and, uh, Claudia grabs a SIM card. And uh, uses it to find out, quote, who's on her evil friends and family plan, which is a very 2011 thing to say. Yes, exactly. Uh, remember those? You have five people you can call for free. Everyone else costs money. Um, it's it's so fascinating how cell phone billing works. 
I remember being on limited minutes and unlimited data, and then it becoming extremely difficult to have an unlimited data plan. Yep. I yep, I've I am on a grandfathered in unlimited data plan because it's more expensive to do that now these days. And yeah. It's a whole weird because like the the plan is a holdover from when like you know you had a when you had a BlackBerry that could 3G, be on the, it wasn't well, that much bandwidth. Yeah, no pre three G like this was back yeah like you had like either like a, a feature phone or maybe a BlackBerry that like got internet at dial up ish speeds. Yeah. Uh, somewhat better than dial-up, but not that much better. Yeah, it's so truly fa- jarring how slow 3G actually is. Yeah. Uh, mostly because in 2008, 3G wasn't that bad because web pages were a lot lighter. Yep. Like... And, that, and back then, they would make... And back then, you know, it was easier to do caching and... Uh, uh, and the other thing is, like, people would make mobile versions of websites. Yeah, that and they would be nearly on. entirely plain text. Yeah. Yeah, like... We still we still make mobile versions of websites, but they're just a different form factor. They're still just as heavy. Right, they're designed to be more interactive. Yeah, not... and, have, and have big cookie banners blocking off chunks of the screen and... Right. They're and basically Rumble. just a workaround for the absolutely horrible shit you're doing with your main website. Yep. Uh, but <laughs> regardless, um, uh, God, remember like nighttime minutes or it's cheaper to call after this hour or weekend minutes or rollover minutes or... I uh, never, ever talked on the phone enough for it to matter. Yeah. Same. Like... Yeah, like I, I could. Talk- I was well aware there were limited minutes, but I used like twelve minutes a month. Yeah, almost all of my phone calls were to like my parents, who I was on the same plan as, so the calls were free regardless. Right. Uh, but yeah, regardless, regardless. Yeah. Uh, what What am I gonna do with a cell phone? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they find and they look at a bunch of call logs and figure out blah blah blah. They find the guy who they find Sally's accomplice, right? And then, uh, basically they there's a bunch of stuff where they get to the fort where Artie and Pete, I believe, Artie, Pete, and Claudia. No, Artie and Claudia. Artie and, and Micah. Micah? Ar- it's Artie and Micah. It's Artie and Micah. Yeah, because everyone else is. Outside, elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they get to the 40th floor. Uh, they go to the meeting room the regents are in. Uh, there's a dickhead security agent who I don't... I assume he has a name. I couldn't tell you what it is. I mean, it clearly doesn't matter because he literally is just, like, not a character before yeah. or after this. Yeah. He Like, he fucking dies in this episode. It does, I, And, like... That's his whole thing, is, like, his his entire purpose here is to, like, he's the security guy for the regents, and all he ever wants to do is immediately reactionarily disagree with whatever Micah and Artie suggest doing. His name is Andrew Jackson, the actor's name, as right. Jackson, the character name. Uh, handy. Helpful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, God, it's... You know when, like, sometimes a famous they'll, like, get a famous actor to be in something, 
But, like, they're so clearly phoning it in that the character's name is also the actor's name. <laughs> I can't say I can think of any example of that, but... I, I can't think of, like, a specific time when it happened, but, um, it hap- you can tell when it happens. I mean, the closest I can come up with is the time that Al Pacino was in that horrible, horrible movie and then made the, uh, Dunkachino commercial in the middle of it. <laughs> uh... Or wait, that was Dinner for Schmucks, wasn't it? What? That mm. wasn't that bad, was it? Mm. What movie was that? Oh, no, it was a horrible movie. It was Jack and Jill. The Adam oh. Sandler vehicle Jack and Jill. Mm. Featuring Adam Sandler as Jack and Adam Sandler as his sister, Jill. Yep. Which I promise, if I uh, rewatched now, I would find so many just appalling things. Yep, yep. Luckily, the only reason I ever watched it was because I worked in a movie theater when it came out. And there was nothing coming out at the time. Yeah. Jack and Jill spent at least three weeks on my two-screen movie theater. God. If you only have two screens, you cycle your movies pretty quick. Three weeks is a long, long time. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for a movie no one wanted to see. Yeah, it sounds about right. (sighs) Anyways. um... Honestly, the Al Pacino recording an advertisement for Dunkin' Donuts Dunkachino is not only the only memorable part of that film, it's also actually pretty cool. <laughs> like, just in the craven on its face uh, advertising in the middle of a movie it was doing. Ah. Uh, bizarre. Yes, very bizarre. Uh, uh and so. Basically, uh, the building is being... We don't find quite find this out yet, but... So... Artie rolls up and is like, Hey, we gotta get out of here. It, uh, everyone bad- who wants to do bad things knows you're here. This is bad. Yep, and then dickhead Jack- security guy, like, argues with them for a while. Yeah. Like, oh, this is a secure Spend- location. And then eventually concedes, like, yes, we should... And then eventually says, okay, let's leave. Yeah, he spends the entire time... Telling Artie, no, I secured this location. It was fine until you knocked out the agents downstairs. By the way, it clearly was not. The building was not The bad thing that's happened to this building, what would have happened, was in progress well before Micah and Artie showed up. Right. And mind you, with the artifact that they had, it did not even fucking matter. If there were guards on the first floor. Yeah, like... Yeah, we'll later find out that the thing causing this is... Yeah, like, it's... Like, so the guards... The guards let in, like, a couple of painters, apparently. Right. Why did they even walk inside? Why were they on indoor security cameras? Yeah, because They didn't need access! Because they... They had to sabotage the, uh... The elevator shaft. 
So, did they spray it before? I guess. I guess yeah, we'll I guess assume they that's what happened. I guess they disguised themselves as painters to, like, go... Cause, like, Sabotage Artie definitely all the sees, elevators. Like, yeah, because Ari definitely, like, looks inside the elevator shaft. This is getting ahead of ourselves, but Ari, like, definitely, like, looks inside the elevator shaft and sees the big anarchy symbol spray-painted in there. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they... They did it to gain access to the elevator shaft. I And presumably the staircase, maybe? But yeah. Yeah, they must have done all of the staircases. They knew they would meet at a high-up location, so they closed off all of the exits and then started demolishing the entire building. Yeah, and the way we, we get to that elevator shaft, dear Lister, who I know is riveted to find out. Um, so they, they leave. Um, security dickhead gets them all into the elevator. Already says, like... Micah protests because she knows that in an emergency, the elevators are less safe than the stairs. Yeah. As anyone who's used an elevator knows. As as anyone who has, like, read the sign outside (laughs) of an elevator saying, in case of a fire, don't take the elevator, take the stairs. Like... Yeah, you you can probably safely extrapolate that uh, that probably applies to other dangerous situations, too. Yeah, exactly. And so... And so security deck has, like, this, the elevator is faster. Do you want to take... 40 do you wanna... flights of stairs? <laughs> yeah, it's... So, like, this guy is not only, like, an asshole, he's actively bad at his job. Right. Like, any security guy... Like, the thing about security guys is they're supposed to be assholes about making you do the inconvenient thing. Because it's safer. Like, that's their whole job. Yeah, exactly. Like, Like, this guy would... Yeah, like, he should be agreeing with them, saying... But, yeah, he's just actively bad at his job. He's... If it weren't for human nature, like, you could just train to be good at security and not need a security guy. But, Mm -hmm. by nature, you can know all of this stuff. And still choose the easier option because it's easier. Yeah. That's why you need a guy. Yeah, this is why every, like, if you work in an office or whatever, there is a fire fire czar or whatever whose job it is to, like, if there is a fire, like, they have to remind everyone what the right thing is to do because, like, people will panic and do the wrong thing. Like, right. And like, They'll take the elevators and shit when you day to day. Not. It's more convenient to not call the guy to inspect all the fire extinguishers. But if someone has that in their job description, they call the guy and check the fire extinguishers. Yeah, <laughs> like you, you want someone whose job it is to like have a calendar reminder or whatever. Right. It. It's not that it's hard to do. Anyone can do it. It's that you won't do it. Yeah, it's you have to have someone who like that is part of their job. You have to have someone whose whose ass is on the line, who is responsible for this. You know, and most offices have like a an office administrator or something whose job is, you know, making sure things are in good working order and that supplies are supplied and whatnot. Anyways, right? Yeah, and not if you... that not that fire safety is necessarily a part of that job description, but like. Regardless, like... Yeah, bigger places all have a guy whose job is just compliance. Yeah. Like, 
I have to meet all of the safety requirements. That's my job. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) It's, uh, it's one of those things. It's very important to have people like that because the nature of those things is they're inconvenient. So you'll skip them if you don't feel like dealing with it. Yeah. Like. It it works the same in IT. If you have a security guy, he'll tell you, no, no matter how convenient this solution is, it's not acceptable. Like, it, you need people who do that. Yeah, you... The phrase devil's advocate has been ruined, but, like... You have to have someone who's who says the unpopular but correct thing. Right. No, we can't just upload all this sensitive data to the cloud. We don't own the cloud. Yeah. Like, those are the people you need around, because people who just want to get their job done don't care that we don't own the cloud. Yeah. They want a thing to work. Yeah. And also... So, yeah, Mr. Dickhead... And also, like, so he just hired two guards? On the ground floor and no one else? Yeah, I mean, I get the travel light. I get the choose nearly abandoned buildings or whatever. And I get having one guy who knows what's going on and two random dickheads who know under no circumstances do you invite painters into the elevator shafts. Yeah. Like, yeah. <sighs> like, it, jobs like that... It, I mean, I don't know that I agree with the whole have two guys thing, because ideally, if some painters show up and you're convinced by their their shtick, just have a guy walk with them. Yeah, like... Like, yeah, exactly. make sure someone has eyes on them the whole time. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, say like, okay, you can paint or whatever, but like, I'm going to come with you. Right, because... there's solutions, and any any situation like this, it's easy to execute on that sort yeah. of solution. Yeah, and like, and that one guard would have died probably. They probably would have killed him, but like that would have. Oh know. yeah, I mean, but almost like, for sure. But and here's the thing. But right? if you're like, if you're assuming that they're painters, you're not assuming they're about to kill you. Yeah, but and that's the other thing is like defense and depth, right? You want to have backup plans. But, like, Mr. Security Guy's backup plan for what if somebody bypasses your two guards is get pissy about it. Right. He's He never even remotely demonstrates any sort of security competence. Yeah, like, well, what happens if someone, like, I don't know, because they're just standing by the front door. Like, if someone comes in through, like, we know there's an entrance in the basement. Yeah, um, and... Like, what if someone comes into the parking garage? What if someone, like, like came in earlier, like, before your guards got here and stayed the night? What if, like... Right, what you if did literally sweep, any number of things? thorough was your sweep? <laughs> yeah, like, apparently nobody's in the security camera room. Like... Yeah. Nobody's watching the cameras, which... That would have seems been a like good the best to place to have somebody. <laughs> yeah, like, could you, yeah, like, why don't, you could have one guy watching the door and one guy watching the cameras or whatever. That would have yeah. been a lot more effective. Every single person in this building who's supposed to be there is in one room, 
or in the front lobby. Yeah. So if you're looking at the security cameras, it's very easy to work out who shouldn't be there. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, instead, he's only obstructionist. He's only increasing the level of panic. Like, he's doing everything that actively would harm his job. Yeah, and yeah, and this is a very time-sensitive situation, and all he does is, like, Either make ba either force bad decisions or like hold up Pete, hold up Artie and Micah from making the good decisions. Right. Like, uh, so like, I get it before he knows who these people are who just barged in. But honestly, no. If these people just barged in, I know Adwin pretty much immediately says no, they're fine. But yeah. Still, like. Did you not have a contingency plan for your two guards get overpowered? Yeah, like because any it happened. Of, yeah, like these guys <laughs> might have like for all we know they could have been like outwitted by a girl scout like right. Having a pistol on your hip doesn't make it impossible for you to lose. Yeah. Like there's a ton of ways to approach two dudes with pistols and win. Yeah. Especially, like, especially when you have nearly unlimited resources like this organization seems yeah, to. Yeah, and especially because, like, you know you're dealing with people who have artifacts. Like, they're aware that, like, there are people who are trying to kill them and have artifacts. Like, for all you know, they can turn invisible. They can... Right. We, they we can, know like, that people we know they can, can turn invisible. We know that people can uh, survive yeah. things that should kill them. Like We know people can... You know, there are people who can look like anyone, who can, like, for all we know, they can, like, tele telekinetically explode a guard's head scanner style. Like, right. Like, you don't even have a thing that, like, I don't know, tells you if your guards are dead. Like, yeah, th this is one of those things when you're defending against a, an attack vector this broad. Ultimately, some of the things make sense. Meet on a high floor of a building. Sure, that yeah. makes sense. Uh, ideally, you would have access be very difficult. Like, disable those elevators before you even get in there. Yeah, like... Make sure no one's entering the building. Make sure anyone who does enter the building has a slow route to where you are. Yeah, like... like already it, have a helicopter on the roof. There's a lot yeah. of things you do. Yeah, exactly. It's... This guy is very bad at his job, but... So, anyways, getting back to the episode, because, um, we've been at this for almost an hour, and we're barely Ooh. halfway through. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, there's a lot to fucking talk about. And, uh, they get into the elevator, including Micah and Artie, they get into the elevator, and of course, um, the cable snaps, or whatever, an, an emergency happens. Right, the and, emergency um, brakes kick in. And, uh, so, yeah, of course something goes wrong in the elevator, basically immediately, because, of course it does, because... That's what it was supposed to do. Yeah, because... Both narratively be and by design of the, uh, baddies. Yeah, and, again, yeah, and, again, you had... We were told by these two characters that this was going to happen. Like, right. uh, anyways. But, yeah, breaks, uh... 
save the day, they take a look through the convenient hatch that apparently every television uh, elevator has and discover that the brakes are being uh, destroyed as we speak. Yeah, and the cable is about to snap, which, by the way, elevators don't have one cable. They have many cables, each of which can support the weight of the elevator. But Yeah, in this case, I think the cables had already totally failed, and it was the emergency uh, kinetic brakes that were locking in place. Yeah. That's so not we, exactly how that works. Yeah. We do we see a cable snap. I don't remember when. But yeah, regardless, yeah, the the elevator is stuck in place and uh they manage to pry the they manage to pry the elevator open and swing out and get out. Yeah, first they use Helena's grappler uh yeah. to hold the elevator up by a piece of nylon rope. Uh maybe that's what starts breaking. <laughs> I mean, it it breaks. It's shown on camera as it, like, fraying and breaking, which isn't how uh, breaks like that work. Uh, if the rope is strong enough to hold up a elevator uh, car, it's also going to break catastrophically all at once, not slowly. And when it does, it will whip with enough force to rip your face open. Yeah. Yeah, there's a reason, again, elevators are designed with multiple cables, each of which can support the elevator on its own. Right. And part of that is because most of the time the brakes aren't mounted to the car. They're mounted to the cables. Hmm. Like, they're usually up in the, uh, either the penthouse or, I guess hydraulic elevators don't work that way which is, like, the other major type of elevator. Mm -hmm. They're either cable or hydraulic. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I watched a video on uh, elevator hacking. Elevators are terrifying. Oh, yeah. The the DEFCON talk, yeah? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of that, like, again, you can... Like, you can just lock an elevator out, like... Right. Like, genuinely, if you were the security guy and you had this building to yourself... At the very least, you could set them all to manual. Yeah, like you could. Like yeah, you like could you ensure could... that no one but you on the fortieth floor has an elevator. Yeah, exactly. Like you can. Yeah, it's a very easy, expected, and normal elevator feature. You know, for fire crews and whatnot. Also, I'm curious. How did Artie and Micah get to the fortieth floor? Yeah, did they take the elevator? Yeah, did they use the already damaged uh, and booby-trapped elevators? Or did they use the already damaged and booby-trapped stairs? Yeah. <laughs> like, we glossed over something here. Yeah, they sure did. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, basically, they all, get out of, they all get out of the elevator, and um, Artie looks... We see the, the cable snap from the grappler, I guess. And, uh... We see the elevator crashes down to the bottom of the shaft. Artie looks up into the shaft and sees a red anarchy symbol spray painted on the wall. And there's like corrosive digital orange sparkles coming out of it, right? Yep, something like that. But, uh, and then we cut back to the bar where uh, Ms. Irene Frederick has showed up uh, alongside Steve to, uh, interrogate Sally. Uh, one of the first things Irene, 
Ms. Frederick says is something like, uh, you know, cut the accent, Sally, you're from Connecticut. Uh, and Sally says something about, like, well, I guess Mr. Human Lie Detector can't hear a fake accent. Yeah, so this is interesting, because Sally is the only person who gets away with lying to Steve, but she gets away with it constantly. Yeah, so, like, she says, like, she says to his face, you're on the wrong side here and I have proof, and he doesn't say she's lying, as he compulsively does. So, So, the story here is that lying, like... If you believe it hard enough, it's no longer a lie in Steve's book. Yeah, yeah, George Costanza voice, it's not a lie if you believe it. Right, the Parappa the Rappa voice, I gotta believe! (laughs) (laughs) So, but, like, but if Steve believes her, he doesn't ask her to elaborate, because... Surely this would be something he would want to know. Yeah, it seems the human lie detector would have a really good opportunity to learn a lot about something if he just simply asks her to elaborate. Yeah, like, like what evidence? Because cause he, can, he knows that she's... He knows that she believes she's telling the truth. But he doesn't follow up on it. Or, right. It's uh, possible he doesn't understand the limitations of his own ability... Yeah. Because as far as he knows, he is 100% effective human lie detector. Yeah, and in fact, like, this accent thing seems to be news to him. Which right. I guess makes sense, because, like, a phony accent isn't a lie. Right, he, it can he be immediately missing. identifies when you tell someone something that is untrue. Yeah. Making your voice sound a different way is not a thing that is untrue. Yeah, like, if she'd said something like, this this is how I normally talk, or whatever, like, right. yeah, he could have picked up on that, but, well, it depends on what normally means, but regardless, like, yeah, it's, it's weird, but, uh. Yeah, they, they hand wave this away, but it seems like specifically Sally has anti-Steve juice. Yeah. Because or... it, they didn't work out a good way to write around it. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or at least, like, Steve doesn't seem interested in listening to her. <sighs> Which, I mean, if I were the human lie detector and someone said, you know, the people you're working for don't, you know, are up to something sinister and I have proof, I would at least say, what proof? Tell me more. Right, because it, like, it even... would very quickly, uh, you know... It, fill you in either that she's lying and trying to manipulate you into doing something yeah or that you have something to consider about your new employer yeah that yeah like even if like basic curiosity about your position or the fact that she has information that is she says is directly relevant to your interests and she genuinely believes that so like either you should follow up on that out of like pure self-interest, or, uh, you know, you should, like, as an interrogator, have a conversation with her to get information out of her. Yeah, because the, it's easy- the, biggest, the biggest skill in interrogating is keeping people talking. Yeah, like, let her talk about whatever she wants, like, it's better than her not talking. Yeah, they they were under a time crunch, 
But the problem is you don't want to display that. Mm-hmm. Like, because then you're giving the interrogated uh, leverage over you. Yeah, and Sally knows oh, this. Yeah, you all she to has to do is that. toy with you. It, yeah. All she has to do is say nothing. Right. Which is true if you're ever arrested. All you have to do is say nothing. Well, there's a uh, weird situation than, yeah, there where... you have to say that you're saying nothing because you're invoking your Fifth Amendment rights. Yeah, like, if you just clam up, that's, that doesn't help you. You have to say... Yeah, because you know, some absolute goblin of a judge was, like, not saying anything is not invoking your right to remain silent. Yeah, it... Yeah, welcome to America. You have to say the magic words, I'm not answering any questions, and I want an attorney. Right. <laughs> Which is, it's just, like, a fundamental misunderstanding of the way, like, yeah, someone the right tells to you, remain silent is apparently not the right to remain silent. Yeah, the cop will tell you you have the right to remain silent. That is, like, the cla- that is the Miranda Although, warning. That is the fairness, classic thing they say. That's the way they word the Miranda warning. You have a right to not self-incriminate is the real thing. Yeah, and actually, yeah, and the cop doesn't... If you are Although, actually being Mirandized, they will likely hand you a card. Yeah, judges have also found that your Fifth Amendment rights don't extend only to not self-incriminating. So that's not even true. Like, you're allowed to not say things for reasons other than not self-incriminating. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah. And yeah, there's other kinds of privilege. And also just generally... You know, don't talk. You know, it's not... Like, it's not going to do you any good. Talking to a cop will never help you. Right. Like, if the, <laughs> the cop... The police will, if, will never trust you, or the police will never help you, only trust your fists. Yeah, like, even if, like, what you say is useful later, cops are... They will, they will lie, they will misrepresent what you said, or they will just conveniently forget that you said that. Yeah, I mean... It depends on the severity of your situation. If mm-hmm. if you're pulled over for speeding, uh, a limited amount of cooperating can keep the cops from escalating this situation and yeah, making like, your life hell. Yeah, that's the thing, uh, right? Like if you are if you are if you're pulled over for a moving violation, being a dickhead about wanting your lawyer isn't yeah. going to help. But if you've ever identified that they fully intend to arrest you and take you downtown. Nothing you're going to do is going to do you any good. Yep. <sighs> Christ. This fucking country. Anyways, we haven't even gotten to um uh some of the most fucked up shit in this episode. So Mrs. Frederick so, shows up, she knows all this stuff about Sally, including that she's from Connecticut. And yep. uh and uh we don't get to the uh and then we cut back to Claudia. Yeah, Claudia and Pete. Uh, I my note is Pete doing cop shit well. I'm not totally certain where I was going with that. Yeah, so where we are is yeah. So Pete and Claudia are they have tracked down Sally's accomplice. He is currently at a bank trying to transfer a bunch of money to a an offshore account in the Cayman Islands. Uh. Yeah, uh, they tracked him down based on traffic cameras? Uh, Or not yet. 
So it's not yet. So no, they, I think they, they find out who he is from Sally's SIM card phone logs, and then they magically track his cell phone to find out where he is. Okay. Because at and, some point they have to use cameras, and I don't think he ditches his cell phone. Yeah, no, it's after this, because he gets away. Right. And then... Uh, oh yeah, because they had to get a glimpse of his car anyway. That wouldn't do much if they didn't know what his car was. Yeah, and so... And so... Uh, Pete goes in to, like, you know, do cop shit. And he oh, yeah. walks in. He walks the in thing with his he gun. did well was he showed his badge to a bunch of people and like gestured for them to get the hell out of there. Yeah, yeah. Because the guy, the guy they're coming up on, has his back to the door because he's talking to a banker or something. Right. And so yeah, and Pete starts. Yeah, he starts. He shows his badge and starts like silently gesturing for people to get out, and they do. Right. And uh, meanwhile, Claudia, um, uh, Claudia is calling Artie about the thing, about the artifact, and we find out, basically, that this is a spray-paint can used at the Berlin Wall to spray-paint an anarchy symbol on the wall in a famous photo. Yep. And, uh, our... our bad guy takes the, uh, banker hostage with the spray spray can upon Pete trying to nab him. Yep, and, uh... And I think before Pete goes in, uh, Claudia says something extremely problematic. I'm not sure I even want to, like, say it on the, on the pod. Uh. Yeah, we can edit it out if we like it, don't like so, how this works out, I guess. So, I don't really know. If she says, a, she makes a, a weird joke. So, the weird thing about this scene is that, like, there's a cool thing, which is that she is wearing a silence equals death with a pink triangle AIDS awareness button, which is pretty cool. Uh, the weird part is she's wearing it while she says uh, she recite she makes reference to a old racist counting rhyme, uh, 10 little Native Americans, and calls the warehouse a reservation. Yeah, and if you look that up, uh, it only gets worse. It's just layer after layer of uh, worse shit. So yeah. uh, brace yourself if you choose to do that. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's weird because Claudia is portrayed as pretty young, like young enough that like cultural touchstones are pretty similar between her and people my age. Yeah. I have no idea where she pulled this shit out of. It's something distinctly someone older than her would have had to come up with, because I have no idea where yeah, you come up with this. Yeah, because of the poem she's referencing, I learned, you know, ten little monkeys jumping on the bed. Right. Yeah, it's just... Which, like, also would have been fine, right? Ten little monkeys dropping one by one, who's watching the bed? That would have been fine, and yeah, less racist. Yeah, weird, but fine. They could have found something better. It... It's bad, folks. <laughs> yeah, it's a really weird scene, and this episode it, gets bad, worse before it gets It's bad, and it's not better. particularly in character for Claudia, either. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really not, weird. It's not old geek culture. It's not, you know, something Claudia would have picked up in some sort of in-universe way. Like, it's not knowledge of movies so she can relate with Pete. Yeah, it's... 
it it doesn't follow for me yeah like they're dropping like flies who's watching the honey like there's a million ways you could have done this regardless (sighs) and like it's kind of insidious that it's sound that it's thrown out as casually as it is because it doesn't sound like anything that should be concerning. Yeah, I, it's only when you because I yeah this really sunk into me because I I rewound this scene several times trying to read her pin, and yeah. that really dug into me like what is what she is saying at the same time. Yeah, like I made the assumption it was some sort of movie reference I was unfamiliar with. Uh, it turns out it's not. It's just well, bad. it is a movie. Yeah, but yeah, she's I think specifically referring to the poem. I like. I guess she could be referring to the movie, but even if she was, the thing she says after that. Eh, uh, anyways, moving on. Uh, so, yeah. So. Sally's accomplice, who I think has a name, I didn't remember what it was, uh, takes the banker hostage um, and runs out of the bank after, again, spray-painting this A with a circle around it on the back of this, on this banker's back. Uh, he takes his jacket off and throws it in and incinerates in midair and the banker is fine. Uh, but this dude runs away, and uh, Pete and Claudia, Claudia's like, big brother is watching and points at a traffic camera. Yeah, and then uh, makes a comment about how little sister can watch, too. <laughs> yeah, which is, you know, at least like a cute turn of phrase, and again, yeah. not racist. Right. Yeah, <sighs> M- much better, Claudia. Good work. I We knew you could do it. <laughs> and then we cut back to Steve and Irene, who are waterboarding Sally with an artifact. Yep, they have uh, Shiro Ishii's medal, which Mrs. Frederick walks up and is like, oh, we've got artifacts too, you know? And, uh, like, Sally immediately recognizes this. Uh, It's very bad. This is a medal that belonged to a Japanese lieutenant general of Unit 731. Which is basically the Japanese war crimes unit. They developed a bunch of biological weapons. It like in World War Two. It was very bad. Like they did a lot of like uh introducing the plague in China, uh other things that it's estimated that his research contributed to them killing about half a million uh, Chinese people through infected fleas that they dropped in China. And biological Christ. weapons are indiscriminate. That's That's the important thing to understand here. Like... There is no militarily acceptable way to do way to wage these sorts of biological warfare because you can't ever choose military targets. You're just killing for the sake of killing. Like 
the killing doesn't stop when you find your way to, like, military victory. It continues. Like, it, even within the context of war, it's a particularly brutal thing. Yep. And, uh, basic, and uh, the metal specifically, you know, when someone touches you with it, it makes you feel like you're drowning. Uh, yeah, and not, it's apparently effective enough to replace, uh, months or years worth of traditional torture methods. Like, it, it's clearly drawing a parallel to waterboarding, which was yeah. also particularly not... I don't think people were particularly chill with waterboarding at the time, because yeah, my- this is the Obama administration. We no longer have the Bush administration referring to it as a enhanced interrogation technique. Yeah, like, mind you, yeah, like, when this episode aired... Waterboarding had been, you know, Obama had signed an executive order banning the use of waterboarding in 2009. Like, uh, whether or not that actually did anything, this country is a nightmare. But, like, the president here is clear that, like, this is, she is absolutely illegally waterboarding someone. And there is very much a, Steve says, like, you can't fucking do this. A- it's wrong. B, torture doesn't fucking work. It's never worked. Like, statistically, no form of torture has ever fucking worked. Right, and And all of this would be pretty good if at any point in this episode torture didn't work. Yeah, because, like, (laughs) Mrs. Frederick says, time is, you know, we're on a time crunch here, basically, which is, you know, the textbook example of, like, well, maybe torture's okay if a bomb's about to go off. And you have to torture the guy now to get him to tell you where the bomb is. Right. So, yeah, we have, in the beginning, we have Theodora being tortured, and here we have Sally being tortured, and both of them eventually give up precisely the information that they have. So if you want the moral of the story to be torture doesn't yield results... You have to have it you not fucking work. You have to have yeah. it not work. <laughs> yeah, so instead the the message here is that Steve is a weak link in that he doesn't trust Mrs. Frederick enough to let her do torture. I mean, w- yeah, wouldn't you? Christ. <laughs> right, like like it's it's so fucking weird that like Mrs. Frederick who up until this point has been portrayed as like universally competent, the voice of reason, you know, good at her job, you know, deserving of, you know, being the warehouse, basically, just decides, you know, no, we're going to torture this lady, we're going to do waterboarding, we're going to waterboard this person. Right, like, throughout the series, we've time to time implied that maybe the warehouse is bad? But I don't know how intentional that was on the writer's part. Yeah, because, like, like, we we had Rebecca saying, Claire saying, like, this, the warehouse will suck the life out of you. But, like, this is yeah. very different. This is, like, you know. I, I think the most direct we ever get is they take Helena away and they're like, 
oh, you just don't want to know. Yeah, we we do disappear this lady for... That implies something really strong. When we learn the nature of what actually happened, she, uh... She isn't even punished. <laughs> like, her weird space prison is not actually a weird space prison. Like, she's just locked away. Yeah, they do apparently let her out in hologram form every now and again when when she would be useful. Yeah. And they specifically go out of their way to make sure that it's a reversible situation. Mm-hmm. Like, we'll come back to that in a later episode, but, like, yeah, the the weird thing is they went out of their way to sort of imply this in Helena's case, but, like, it's all off screen. It's It's something that you never know what's happening with Helena. Well, you do know what's happening with Helena a little later in the series, but... Yeah, in this case, it's just Mrs. Frederick straight up doing torture. Mm-hmm. And I I think if we ran through, I don't know that Claudia would go along with it. I don't I don't think Pete would go along with it. I I think Micah wouldn't go along with it as long as the context made clear that her friend's life were, was on the line. Like, in this case, we have Micah in contact with them, like, hey, this, there's there's problems here. Like, Artie and Micah are in this building trying to escape. But, I mean, I think Artie goes along with torture pretty, pretty likely if there's a argument for it but like i don't know it's weird because they never portrayed mrs frederick in a way that suggests that she should be wrong in this situation yeah like if the show really wanted to like come out against torture sally would have given them bad information that wound up having terrible consequences because torture doesn't work it doesn't make people say what you want them yeah, it, it doesn't extract information. It makes people away this war crime or this war criminal's medal. Like, yeah. don't carry this around with you. It's not useful to you. Yeah, like if the show wanted to like be anti-torture, it would have had like you know have Sally like give her you know torture doesn't make people tell the truth. Torture makes people tell you what they want you, what they think you want to hear. Right. And, I mean, what did they even get out of her? Uh, The nature of it being spray paint? They already knew it. Like, Yeah, I'm trying to remember, like, what the hell they even tortured at. I'm trying to, like, was it the, was it her boss? Was it the, was it her accomplice? I believe all she managed to get out was something about the Berlin Wall. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, they were asking her how to reverse the, the stuff. Right. And she's like, I don't know, I don't know. As she never gives up how to reverse it. She probably doesn't actually know. She just says it's from the Berlin Wall. Yeah. Uh, maybe something about emotions. But, like, you could have called Lena and got that narratively. 
Yeah. Like, like, that's what they normally do in this situation. Yeah, especially since, like, they pulled up, like, a famous picture of the Berlin Wall where this is happening. Like... Right. This is one of those things you could get from Stroke of Genius. They do that all the time. Call up Lena. She looks out a card catalog. Like, just... Go with it. Go with one of Pete's vibes. He's the one holding the can in the end. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah, and the solution winds up being it's spray paint. You have to spray over it. Like Right. And yeah, like you gotta figure that shit out on your that. own. Yeah. yeah. They didn't learn this from uh from Sally. They just did a torture and got some marginally useful information. Yeah, ensuring like, that the me- the underlying message that torture doesn't work cannot uh cannot hit. I don't know. I guess maybe expecting them to have that underlying message uh is a little much in the midst of our propaganda show. Like it's like there's no way like the writers are clearly aware that like torture is bad. Like they like Right. At the end, they, at the they end of the episode, to set Steve up with a moral dilemma. Yeah, like because at the end of the episode, Steve quits, like because he, you know, he saw this happen. He's like, "This is fucked up. I can't be part of it this anymore." And like, well, he gets fired. Yeah, which is what <sighs> happens when you pull a gun on your boss. <laughs> yeah, but like, so like the writers of the show are clearly aware that torture is bad for you know, and they articulate the reasons why, like. It's barbaric. Um, it's a terrible thing to do. It would be wrong even if it did work. And also, torture doesn't fucking work. But they also present to us to, with a world where a not only does torture absolutely works, and b the most level-headed like the most level-headed character in the show thinks it's cool and good to waterboard people. Because like the, and that's the other thing, right? Like. They specifically came up with an artifact that waterboarded people. The specific method of torture that was, you know, a very big national conversation just a few years earlier. Right. If you want to talk about torture in the early 20-teens, like, in America at least, waterboarding is the form of torture that you—that comes to mind first. Yeah. Like, this is— this is what we admitted to doing. It, like, this so is... there was a big conversation about what the hell that means. Yeah, like we had twenty four, which was very, which was 100%. very much pro torture. Yeah, they, they were fans of it. Yeah, yeah, twenty four was like one hundred percent big on the waterboarding is cool and good train, and the Bush administration was big fans of both twenty four and waterboarding. Yeah. I So Oh, that's that's so horrifying. Oh, I have I have stories I can tell. Um But um I've seen fighting in the age of loneliness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or no, uh there's a different uh secret base video about the a, a series 24. I, I think it's specifically a it, it John does Boyce come up in Fighting yeah. in a, the Age of Loneliness though. Yeah. I yeah, I think it's just a John Boyce video. It, it's not something he made as part of Secret Base slash SB Nation. But Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. But yeah, we're thinking of the same thing and uh I have other stuff to talk about that I probably shouldn't mention on the podcast, but 
Regardless, this is a fucking... <sighs> this part fucking sucks. Yeah, I mean, if I were to try to make an argument for the uh, what the writers might have been attempting to do, it's that a lot of times they they like to portray the zealousness of uh, warehouse agents, especially more senior warehouse agents, as being specifically reaching too far. Mm-hmm. Like, we see this with McPherson. He felt he could do more, and it drove him to do bad things. And we'll see it again later on. We'll see Artie do it more than once. Like, I think he's already done it, but I'm not pulling an example immediately. Like, there is this underlying thing where they sometimes go, okay, new agents are actually the voice of reason when more senior agents have lost their compass. But I don't think it comes across very well in this one. Yeah, because... Again, it seems this episode shows us several times that torture works and is good to do. Right. It's usually not so ambiguous about who was right in the end. Yeah, because it's... Yeah. Because in this case, uh, Steve being right gives him the privilege of losing his job and the... uh, And Mrs. Mrs. Frederick being wrong gives her a morsel of information that's marginally useful. Yeah. Like, one of these is perceived as good, the other is perceived as bad. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's not the ones you would want if that was your goal. Yeah, like, the show is at best saying torture is bad, but it gets results. Which, um, is weird because a character specifically said torture doesn't work. (laughs) Book ended by scenes of torture working. Yeah. <sighs> we we probably ought to just move on from this. Yeah, I, you, I think we you... we've said I think we've said everything we could say. Yeah, hopefully you've get like if you've gotten this far in the podcast without like and you're and this is new information to you, I don't know what to tell you. Um anyways, we should move on to uh, uh Claudia and Pete getting in their car and Claudia has little headset thing that hacks Spray paint boys GPS. Uh, Yeah. Well, hold on. First things first. We must remember that the Highlanders GPS system kicks ass. And that guy's (laughs) GPS system is a piece of shit. Yeah. (laughs) Because once again, we get some Toyota product placement up in here. Ah. Claudia very distinctly points out that the Highlander has a superior GPS system to to this guy's car, which I believe is a debadged Audi. Which is also weird because, like, their GPS systems look the same, probably because they were added at the same time in in post. post, because, Because screens don't look good when you film them. Yeah, Claudia goes on for quite some time about how cool the car is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Claudia is 
a big fan of the Prius and the Highlander, apparently. Uh, so yeah, she, she hacks into the GPS of the other guy and starts issuing commands in her best GPS voice. Yeah. But I'd like to point out, once again, these cars are from 2010. Like, their, their GPS is not internet connected. Yeah. Like... If you're not real familiar with GPS, listener, uh, GPS is where you connect to satellites in the sky, and it gives you a very accurate position. In cars, up until very recently, there was no data connection. Yeah, there was it, a there was a DVD in your car's trunk that had the maps on it. If you wanted more up to date maps, you had yeah, to or buy different a, maps. Lots yeah. of times, you only had an area. Yeah, like if you want, yeah, like. If you had a U.S. car and you wanted to go to Canada, you would have had to, like, pay your pay a, a dealer, you know, quite an exorbitant sum for the Canada maps. Yeah. It, in fairness, these cars are newer. They probably had either a hard drive or EMMC or something. Like, they probably didn't have a DVD. Uh, but, like, they certainly were not internet connected. Yeah. So, yeah, so she's hacking this car with magic, and, uh... Yeah. And especially since, like, whatever whatever directions she says also appear on the little screen. Right. And hacking with magic is perfectly normal for this show, but, yeah. like, in this case, the car is not even communicating. Hacking something on the internet is one thing, but this car is not doing communications. It's doing calculations which is why one gps is better than another Mm -hmm. like it's all about the quality of the map packs back then Mm -hmm. because they can't know all of the little streets and they can't know changing traffic conditions nowadays you get things through google maps you're connected to the internet or whatever like that is a much more dynamic mapping system Mm -hmm. so yeah there's a number of reasons this doesn't make sense and this is where I write. I wrote "Girl Boss." Um, okay. <laughs> I I forget why. I think um, they eventually drive this guy into a into an alleyway, and they yeah they drive him into an alley like a, a dead a dead end, and uh, and th- again the guy follows his GPS into right. He's a trying blind to alley. drive. He's trying to drive to an airport. Yeah. And he turns into a blind alley. Something that <laughs> doesn't have like a yellow line down the middle. Yeah. Like, like it's worth noting. Remember episode one yeah, when I'm like, no one would get the direction that says turn left and there's no road yeah. and follow it in two thousand eight? Yeah. That's this. Yeah, exactly. It, it happened again. Yeah, you understand that your GPS has a limited set of information because it's not internet connected. You don't blindly trust it. Yeah. But anyways, they uh Claudia and Pete park behind park behind him, block him in, and uh they they catch him, Pete's like, "Give me the spray can. Uh tell us how to reverse it." The guy says, well, either you kill me or he does, referring to Shadow Boss. And basically, he pretty gruesomely kills himself by spraying the spray paint in his mouth. 
Yeah, you watch his uh, face just sort of burn and melt up. Uh, it is uh, a lot more brutal than a lot of deaths in this show. Yeah, the dude just, like, gets fucking TF'd into a skeleton. Yep. He, uh, he does a very brief Ghost Rider, <laughs> and then is just a skeleton. Yep. Yeah, so uh, he, he fucking dies, uh, Pete and Claudia bag the, uh, they bag the spray can, but it doesn't stop, the building, it doesn't stop, and, uh... I'm, so this dude, I, I'd like to point out, this dude was a hired gun, that's why he's transferring his money to the Caymans or whatever. Yeah. Why didn't he just tell them? Yeah, like... He I got guess, his money. Well, I guess because, like... So, I guess the implication here is that shadowy figure boss guy has such a broad global reach that if he talks, he will be found even if he's, like, in the Cayman Islands. Yeah, but he doesn't have any plan to escape. He just dies. Yeah, that's a good he, point. He could have like, tossed them the thing, walked away, and died a different way. Or... Like, you know, or at least, like, cooperated and hoped that they had the resources to protect him. Yeah, like, so, like, if you're so scared of this guy who will kill you if you betray him, why not, like, at least tell the guys who are presumably trying to stop him what they want to know before killing yourself? Right, like, there, there's no good justification for his choice if he's a hired gun. I I would get it if he were a true believer in the cause. But he's just here because he's getting paid. Yeah. And, uh... Cooperate maybe... with the guys who, uh, are trying to get information from you. Maybe they help you. Maybe they don't. But... Who cares? If your other option is to just die in front of them, like, that's not helping you at all. Yeah, like... Presumably you don't like this guy, right? Because he's going to kill you. Right. At at the very least, you're uh, not particularly satisfied with his management style. <laughs> yeah, like, you don't like the guy, right? Certainly, like, you know, why not take one last chance to at the very least fuck over this dickhead who's you apparently don't like very much? Yeah, it, it's just such a strange move. Like, I... I get it, he's wanted in a bunch of different countries. He probably doesn't feel he's going to do particularly well if he's arrested. But okay. Like, it's, it's also but, weird that, like... It's not a justification for him to sp uh, spray spray paint in his own mouth. Yeah, it's... It doesn't make any sense. It's... Like, he doesn't even, like, really know what... what Pete and Micah want, right? What Pete and Claudia want. Yeah, like, he doesn't know these people. He yeah, he doesn't know these they... people. He doesn't ask them any questions. They just ask him about the spray paint, and he's like, you'll never take me alive! Yeah, either you kill me or they do. We aren't gonna kill you! <laughs> yeah, like, we, we have no intent... Because, like, Pete is pointing a Tesla at him, but, like, you know... Yeah, we're going to lock you up. It's not gonna be great. We're not trying to kill you. Yeah, like... Because, like, at the very least, the tra like the track record here is that, like, there's a very—not that Spray Paint Man could have known this, but, like, if he had talked, the track record is very good that, like, Pete and Claudia would have said, like, okay, whoa, thank you. 
you have a flight to catch. Yeah, see you later, dog. <laughs> yeah, have have fun. I hope you disappear real good. Yeah. And this guy doesn't come by and kill you. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, and like I I I don't know. This this episode's kind of a mess. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it- but they've they've acquired the spray paint. Yeah. Uh which is good. They're on the Farnsworth with uh Artie and Micah telling them they're on their way. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, so they they bag the spray paint can. Uh it doesn't help and uh maybe we have to be closer when they start heading over there. And I think we have we've skipped over a bit of what's going on at at the place. Yeah, uh, we definitely did because we haven't even mentioned who all was actually there. Mm-hmm. Uh so the people our players are uh Jackson, our uh, security, security guy. Uh, Adwin Kassan, who we've met before. Another regent by the name of Jane, and another by the name of Philip. Mm-hmm. Plus Artie and Micah. They've discovered that the stairs are all failing, yep. and the elevators have all failed. Yep, and so they go up to the roof, and Artie... He looks in the reflection of the building next door and sees that, like, oh, the entire building is dissolving with this, you know, spray paint that dissolves things. Yeah. And Adwin has called a helicopter to come nab them, but it's gonna it's thirty minutes out, so it's unlikely to be fast enough to mm-hmm. save the day. Yeah. Uh so they're looking for another option, and the other option is a window washing rig. Yeah. Though so, it's certainly an option, not a great one, but an option. Yeah, and at some point here, they're all trying to go down the stairs and um security guy fucking dies. Yeah, he falls he into gets... the stairwell and dies and uh he offs himself saying save Philip, who is one of the regents. Yeah, he uh, he discovers that he's infected with the corrosive thing, and so he's forcing Micah to let him go so that, uh, you know, they have a chance or whatever, because he's a zombie now, <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah oh, and... I got the melty juice on me, I guess. Yeah, so he, uh, it, he gives himself up and says that it's it's super important, you gotta save Philip. And then immediately, just like the next moment, Philip fucking dies. Yep. Uh, yeah. So th- this is where we, yeah. And, uh, so this is apparently where we cut back to dude spray painting himself. Then, yeah. Then there's some nonsense with magic regent bracelets. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Philip, um, uh, tells J, he's pinned under some rubble and, uh, he tells Jane they need to transfer the uh, the Ramadi shackle, and so they do this quick transfer, and then uh, he just dies, and everyone is very happy that Philip is dead. <laughs> uh, and there's something about how these are the last lines of defense. I don't know if we got a lot of context here. This part kind of went over my head. 
Uh, we do not get any sort of context into what the hell the Ramadi Shackle does. Just that, um, you can't die, just that you can't die while wearing it, and that this is the last line of defense for the warehouse. Yeah, it in some way is protecting the warehouse. Mm -hmm. That's all we know at this point. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm trying to work out if it, I'm not sure when it comes back up. Hmm. Weird. Yeah, I don't really know. Uh, Genghis Khan made it to protect Warehouse 7, which is cool because it gives us a little more context about the various warehouse numbers. Mm -hmm. I think it was 7. Yeah, because it's always curious. Like, we know... Two was ancient Egypt. We don't know anything about one so far. We know 12 uh, was in England and HG worked there. 11, we know something about. I think 11 was in France. That but sounds right. Yeah, it, it's kind of neat to do the sort of chronology there but I don't know they it's intentionally a little vague about it mm. but yeah apparently Genghis Khan had a warehouse at one point yeah fair enough if I were Genghis Khan I'd want a warehouse right yeah you conquered everything you might as well have yourself a warehouse huh. you gotta put all the stuff somewhere right I mean, that's why, uh, that's why it needed to be in England in, uh, the, the turn of the 19th, uh, 1900s. Yep. Because <laughs> they needed a place to put all the stuff they stole. Yep. Uh, well, we already have the British Museum. <laughs> it's full, it's right full up, though. Ah. Mm. Uh, anyways. Uh. Yeah, so Philip's dead. Jane has the shackle now. Uh, Artie busts out Lloyd Wright's pickup sticks. Yeah, Frank Lloyd Wright's son, I guess. Yeah. Uh, he apparently liked to build what what his dad was building models of with his pickup sticks. Mm -hmm. So the... These things will just form structures you want them to, in this case, form of a ladder. Yeah. It allows them to climb on down to the window washing rig, except it only gets Artie and Adwin down there. Yeah, because Micah and Lady Lady Regent. Jane. J yeah. Micah and Jane, um... It seemed like they just spent a lot of... mostly just fucking around. Yeah, like, there, there's really, like, no reason they couldn't have. They're just fucking around up there. It's not really made clear why they don't make it down before the paint starts dissolving the sticks. And it's like a ten-foot ladder. Yeah, yeah, mind you, it also you just You could have swung like... a leg over and dropped. Not that I recommend doing that onto a uh, window-washing rig, but desperate times. Yeah, like... Yeah, like, it doesn't look like that far a drop. It's, like, maybe a story and a half. Right. Not ideal, no, but, like, it, like, if you, it would be pretty darn easy to just sit down and, like, drop. Right. 
The thing they don't do nearly enough of, and only do, uh, I think once Philip is dead, once, is splitting up the goddamn regents. Because they they do say, yeah, because they do say, like, we only gather together one big group rarely because, you know, it's a security risk. Right. And once you've determined that your security is breached, ideally you make yourselves the most difficult target you can. Yeah. And that's probably when you have a head of security and two warehouse agents... And the same number of you guys splitting up and finding independent routes down. Yeah, because they try this a little bit, like, half of them, when they when they get out of the elevator, they they have a whole thing where some of them take the east staircase, some of them take the west staircase, and it's a really long scene. Yeah, where, and Jane insists she's going with Micah. Yeah. It, it it's a really long scene that ends with, of course, both of the staircases are fucked up. Yeah, this right. didn't mean anything. They played us like a damn fiddle. Yeah, they watched like... us like Malcolm in the middle. So. Uh, yeah, so. Yeah, it's what... concerning to me because they just sort of wander around together yeah. in a building that they know is rigged to do them harm. Yeah. Like, they just wander it, around it, in a big plan... thing. They stand in one place for a long time having pointless arguments. They, like, again... <sighs> if the baddies' plan was mildly more effective, they stood no chance. Yeah, like, if they'd... Yeah, like, if they'd sprayed one of them anarchy... One of them corrosive anarchy symbols, like, slightly closer to the 40th floor, everyone or here would be dead. slightly more emotion. Yeah. Like, if they'd pulled a diehard and, you know, which... They reference later on in the episode and like sprayed the bottom of the roof. They would all be dead, right? But but instead we get um Mike is I guess trying to talk Regent Lady, whose name I already forgot. I'm sorry. Into going down the ladder and she says, "Cowboy up, we're getting the hell out of Dodge." Yeah, to which is approximately similar to something Jane said earlier. Hmm. But I guess Jane doesn't want to go down a ladder for some reason. Yeah. They just stand at the top for a really long time, and... and it, it, it is genuinely one of those things where they just sort of fuck around <laughs> until their window is gone. <laughs> like, yeah. Why are you not on that ladder? <sighs> yeah. If you'd have done anything other than stand around and not do the thing you planned on doing, you would be just fine right now. Yeah, yeah, because, like, she wasn't scared, right? Like, she's, you know... Yeah, it didn't seem to be, like, a fear of heights. Artie was a little afraid, but he went down the damn ladder. Yeah, and then, like, the very next thing, because, like, Artie and other guy, like, they take... Basically, the window washing rig is broken or out of power or something so it'll only go down uh and so micah and sally have to find their own way out not sally jane jane i'm sorry have to find their own way out and so what they do is um they grab the fire hoses and rappel down the elevator shaft like in die hard yep <laughs> uh, yeah jane makes a comment uh, uh 
Micah is caught a little off guard because Jane is like, okay, we can make it down four four flights or four stories each go. Yeah. And there are two of these. On every story. Did she say there's, okay, every story? That's what she Uh, says. Yeah, because if she said they were every four stories, it would be interesting because there are, like, instances where they aren't required to have those every story. Yeah. Uh, Specifically, the fire in... uh, Where was it? There was a fire in a building in... I believe New York City. Where they had petitioned the city for, like, a deviation from the fire code that allowed them to only have fire suppression systems every four stories, like sprinkler systems. Hmm. And it worked out very poorly in the event of a fire. Yeah, especially if you're in, like, a tall fucking building when you can't just leave. You need every minute. Like, why do you think that in... Like in some this big was buildings. genuinely a pretty tragic event where some firefighters got turned around and didn't know what story they were on and got trapped and suffocated slowly. Yeah. Like, it was avoidable if you didn't have all of these weird code deviations that they were allowed. Yeah. But, you know. Like, why do you think... Shit happens, I guess. A, yeah, a lot of times building, like, you will see people escaping buildings like this in, like, rope ladders. Not 40-story buildings, that's probably a little much, but, like, I've had family members who lived on, like, the fourth story of apartment complexes, and they kept a rope ladder in their rooms. Right, unless you have, like, steel, uh, escape, uh, fire escapes, like, you probably need something. Yeah, like, yeah, because, like, it is, we don't have to talk about all the ways fires kill people, but, like, if nothing else, this building seems well prepared for a fire. Two hoses on right. every floor? That seems like overkill, but I... If I, I were I'm in a, glad we have it today. <laughs> yeah, if if I was in a building that was on fire, I would be glad that there were two hoses. Yeah, and Micah is a little caught off guard by Jane's encyclopedic knowledge of building fire codes. Yeah. And she she just sort of quips about learning it from her husband. Yep. And they they definitely call out the fact that this happened in Die Hard. And, uh... Yep. Which is weird, because Pete isn't there. Uh, They get to the bottom of the mineshaft. Yeah. It's a bad time. Yeah, they... Yeah. Yeah, uh... (laughs) It didn't work as planned. Yeah, she's talking about, you know, we can get out through the basement entrance. And then... There's a basement entrance, and yet there weren't any guards there? And yeah, it seems a little weird. Maybe it's locked up pretty tight, but still, like, just trusting that doors can't be unlocked from the outside is a silly thing to do. Yeah. So, like, that's not how security works. Yeah. Like, again, if you're willing to rappel down a building via, via fire hose, which is... Like, Michael was giving her a pep talk to go down a ladder, but she's fine with this. Um, right. If you're gonna do it, if you're going to reference Die Hard, you can do the Die Hard thing and tie the rope around, tie the hose around yourself and jump out the window. But you see, if it were an empty building and everyone got out safely, 
we wouldn't have any dramatic tension for when Pete rocks up with the spray the spray can. Yeah, and so yeah. Long story short, uh, they wind up in the basement. Um, the door is locked or something. Basically, it's a dead end. And um, she says something like, uh, she talks a lot about, oh, you and Pete, you're good partners or whatever. Yeah, they're they're having their uh, Thelma and Louise moment <laughs> where, mm-hmm. where they drive off the cliff into the sunset. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and and they specifically say that, too. Yep. And, uh... And then, uh, yeah, Pete shows up with a with a can of spray paint, and Claudia says, Hmm, well, it's spray paint, and at the Berlin Wall, people are always, you know, tagging over each other's tags. What if you just spray over the... What if you just spray over the big red anarchy symbol paint on the outside of this building? I'm... I'm also not so sure that happened. Well, like, if you look at a picture of the Berlin Wall, like, it is pretty covered in paint. Yeah, but what side was that? I'm pretty sure the West German side was covered in paint. Yeah. Because the East German side, there was probably punishment for you spraying on the wall. So you didn't need to spray over other people's tags. It was mostly empty. Yeah. Yeah, because like, like, yeah, because the picture it, we see, that like, we it's hard for me to imagine that they didn't do something about graffiti on the wall. Yeah, because like, yeah, because like, let me tell you something: the Soviet Union probably knew a thing or two about the way uh, people interact with propaganda, and yeah. that's what most spray paint, like, political messages spray painted on a wall yeah. are. Yeah. Because, like, that, that's a good point. Because, like, we see a picture in the episode of, like, someone using a can of spray paint to spray paint this circled A symbol on a wall that's already covered in paint. But, like, yeah, that's a good point. Like, that would have been on the East German side of the wall, which was, you know, covered in stuff. And they talk a lot about, like, oh, this is um a symbol of anger like, and of... Their, their messaging is really muddled here, and it's not helped by the fact that, like, every time they try and make a statement, I'm like, that's not what anarchy is. Like, right. I, you know, it's, you know, maybe it's because I spend a lot of time on noted gay communist website Mastodon, but like, you know. Yeah, I... I, I know a lot, like, it it seemed, the fact that Pete defeats this by spray painting a peace sign over the, the circled A seems a little... You guys I, didn't look this up, did you? I mean, uh, yeah, it seems like... So... I like this because putting a peace sign over something, like, the circled A is an extreme political position from the point of view of a television writer. Yeah. Like, you know, it it just is. So, spraying over that with the embodiment of liberalism a peace sign designed to offend no one. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, uh, that's certainly a move. Yeah. it It's not saying anything other than I would like things to be marginally better. Yeah, like, like, yeah, like, the, like the strongest, <laughs> the strongest way you could read a peace sign is, I think this is a folk, a folk history. I don't know if this is necessarily true, but like, if you read it as semaphore for, 
if you're using semaphore, if you're using flags to signal, holding your hand straight up and down is an N, and kind of down into your sides is a D. So, and if you superimpose those, you kind of get the middle of the peace sign, and you can read it saying ND for nuclear disarmament. Yeah, I mean, I think the meaning of the peace sign, it it's contextually a little different. It yeah. was probably more radical in the Vietnam yeah, era. Like, like, yeah, like, when, when the National Guard was killing people in Kent State, the, like, that absolutely was it, making a gesture like a peace sign spray-painted on a wall meant a whole lot more than doing it today. Yeah, especially, like, if you're a fucking cop spray-painting it. Right. Uh, <laughs> if you're a fucking cop while, you're, while your boss, like, literally just waterboarded someone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there, there's a whole lot of uh, confused ideology here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah. It's also probably telling that I know a lot of anarchists, a lot of ANCOMs. I've never seen any of them really use the circled A symbol. I, one, I mean, once or twice, maybe, but not all that much. They tend to be more into the red and black flag. Yeah, it's one of those things, like, I don't know. I I did see an article, I was looking stuff up in relation to this, and I did see an article about punk music in uh, East Berlin mm-hmm. and the power of, uh, like, social movements against the Soviets through punk music. Yeah. And that being related, uh, and, like, I think it's interesting because it was told from the point of view of someone who moved there in, uh, 91, so shortly after the wall fell. So not quite firsthand, but not nearly as far removed as we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so m- movements like Spr- Movements like anarchist movements pushing the circle to A, that's a little bit more understandable contextually there. Yeah. But that's also, you're a little more limited in the symbols you can use when you're more persecuted. Yeah. Like, you need more, you need a symbol that is quicker to throw up. Yeah. And circle to A is clear and quick to throw up. Yeah. But yeah, Pete sprays a big blue peace sign on it. Uh, the spray paint apparently changes color based on the emotion behind it. I guess. Yeah, that's what was that was weird. Like I half thought he just that was a different can of spray paint, but if it is, like it's certainly not communicated to us, the audience. Yeah, and the important thing ultimately is the emotion behind it. Like he, the reason Pete does it is because he's feeling all of these emotions because his partner is trapped in there. Yeah. And so he does it with a lot of emotion, and that's ultimately what overcomes. Fre- we we overcame the bad guys through the power of friendship. Yeah. And then, yeah, day is saved. Uh, our bad guy just sort of kills Sally. Yep. Like... This is one of those things that I 
don't get about our our bad guy. Uh, I'm not sure how many times he's done this on camera now, but it's not the last time you're going to see it. Like, he's definitely killed people in front of us before. He literally kills people when it would be more convenient for him not to. Yeah. Like, not people who have betrayed him, people who have been loyal to him the entire time. Yeah, people who did good work, they just, you know, failed at their jobs for reasons outside their control. Right. And, like, Sally did fine, like... Sally not only did fine, she was coming up with contingency plans before she was killed. (laughs) She uh she goes out of her way to say, "Hey, uh Steve Jinks, he hasn't he's not actually on board with all of this. Yeah. Like we can get to him." And I sowed the seed. Like she was specifically sowing the seed so she could turn Jinx. Yeah. And then cuz he saw her suffer. Yeah. And that emotionally impacted him. Yeah, like yeah, like she has a pretty good she has pretty good leverage on him saying like, "Hey, um it was pretty fucked up how your boss waterboarded me. Uh do you want to see that evidence I was talking about? I think right. you would be pretty receptive to it." But no. Also, she's apparently the only person capable of lying to this dude. I guess like is it a lie that she has evidence? I don't know. Like <sighs> who knows, but she gets away with tons of lies. Yeah. Like she's the only one that ever does, too. Mhm. It's pretty strange. Yeah, and then her mysterious boss is like, "Nope, you didn't kill all the regents. Fuck off." Yeah, you're you're fucking she gets dead. Injected. I've you know shot her up with the uh, shot her up with the juice that makes it look like you died of a heart attack. Right. An undetect an undetected heart defect or whatever. Right. Yeah, it suddenly makes your heart have a defect and then fail. <laughs> That's, yeah, a little far-fetched. And also, it it's strange that he cares. Like, what does it matter to him if it looks like an accident? I don't know, I guess she's an FBI agent, and maybe uh, raising red flags with the FBI isn't ideal. Yeah. It's bizarre. But, it doesn't really make any sense. Nothing about this episode is good. Yeah, but then we're in the aftermath. We see the ambulances and stuff. Uh, Pete goes and finds Micah, and there's big hug. Oh, great, we saved the day. Happy ending. And then Micah, who has bonded with our uh, Regent Jane throughout this entire uh, this entire ordeal, brings Pete over and introduces him to uh, Jane the Regent. And she turns around, and Pete discovers it's his mom. Ah, uh, mom? And the Which... yeah, episode ends there. Yeah. Though, before this, there was a false ending of Steve telling telling Claudia he got fired. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he... We didn't even bring this up very directly. Steve just makes Mrs. Frederick stop torturing Sally. Yeah, he he pulls a gun on her. Yeah, he pulls a gun and audibly cocks it because otherwise she wouldn't know. (laughs) Yeah. And, yeah, we see Steve, like, giving a speech to Claudia and saying, 
I can't continue working here, and I guess also I got fired for pulling a gun on my boss, and, um, he kind of, so, he gives her a weird kiss. Yeah, he, he kisses her on the cheek. I mean, it, I don't know. The, the thing that gets to me is Steve is, if anything, he's the embodiment of, like, a, to use a D&D alignment, lawful good. He's specifically, he doesn't bend rules. Mm-hmm. But that also means if he thinks something is wrong, he won't shut up and uh, take it. Yeah, which is like, which is good. Like, I'm if it wasn't for Steve, no one in this episode would even think like tort would even say torture is bad. Right. But he walks away, and the person he cares about most at the warehouse. He's just like, eh, I don't really need to tell her anything about the horrible reasons that uh, I had to turn on Mrs. Frederick. Yeah, like, he doesn't, like, tell Claudia, hey, by the way, like, I just watched some fucked up shit happen. Yeah, if you're ever forced out of your, any listeners, if you're ever forced out of your job for some fucked up shit, Ideally, make sure everyone knows how fucked up it was. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're losing your job because you raised an ethics concern and the bosses are more interested in their bottom line than your ethics concern and they they march you on out, you should make sure the person who sits at the desk next to you knows exactly why they're marching you out. Yep. Like, it it serves no purpose otherwise. Yeah, like, there's... Like... Yeah, like, if you're, going if down you're whistleblowing, flames, you, there's no reason to stop blowing the whistle. Like, Mrs. Frederick ignored you, Steve, but, like, why wouldn't you tell Claudia, like, hey, let me tell you about this fucked up shit I just saw and will probably happen again, and I want you to be aware of it, if only for your own sake. I would want to know if, like, I could get fucking waterboarded at work. Right. Yeah, it, it's not necessarily something that you wouldn't be able to know, at least have an inkling of, based on previous uh, interactions and how the regions have operated. But, like, they've always suggested they have these limits, but apparently they're looser limits yeah. than we thought. Yeah, because, like, again, I would immediately lose it, any trust I had in Mrs. Frederick. Like, right. Yeah, when when Steve raised his concerns, like, Mrs. Frederick's just like, okay, sorry, but we're gonna do that. Yeah, like, it, yeah, like... <sighs> yeah, it, it's bad, folks. Yeah. The, the messaging here is, uh... Bad. I I don't know if it was that they were reaching for something they didn't achieve, or if they were just like... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think the writers wanted to say torture is good, actually. Yeah, like... But that's what they ended up doing. Yeah, like, it's... it. They clearly set out to write a... They clearly set out to, like, address the issue of waterboarding, which... Mind you, at the time the episode aired, had been, you know, pretty settled for, you know, three years or so at this point. 
I mean, we always knew torture was bad, but like, if you were trying right. to comment on like twenty four yeah. in the Bush administration's like promotion of waterboarding, like that was, you know, that hasn't been happening for a while. Yeah, there were plenty of people who, when Bush was talking about enhanced interrogation techniques, were like, no, what you're describing is torture. Don't use words that don't mean anything. Say what it is. Yeah. Like, but there were also people who bought into it, and it was a much more up-in-the-air issue than it was in, you know... 2010 or 2011 when this aired yeah and like by that point pretty much everyone settled on yeah waterboarding was actually fucked up yeah we were probably still doing it yeah like oh, oh but everyone was pretty settled that it was fucked. yeah up. like oh yeah like obama took office years before this like said yes waterboarding is torture it's bad and we're going to stop doing it whether or not that stopped waterboarding from happening, we will see. But, like, you know... We, at least as a people, had a optimism that we did better. Yeah, like, yeah, like saying waterboarding like, is bad wasn't, like, a controversial take at this time, and they still fucked it up by saying, yeah... <sighs> like... By making it also the only thing that actually was effective. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> like, God, this is, this is a... This is a weaker condemnation of torture than the drill tweet about going to torture college. <laughs> yeah. Ah. Ah. I hate this. Yeah. I hate this episode. Uh, yeah. Not a bad episode. Bad themes in the episode. Yeah, like, if you excise, like one scene and one line of dialogue, it's fine. It's a perfectly serviceable, typical episode yeah. of Warehouse 13. If only the bad people used torture, it would not be such a morally ambiguous... Like, it would not be such a bad way to approach torture in television. Yeah, like, cut out... Like, yeah, like, cut out the scene where... If you cut out the scene where Mrs. Frederick does it... Like, you, where you, they don't gain any useful information anyway. Yeah, if you cut that out, you still have the problem of torture being effective, but at least, like, the bad person is shown doing it. Right. Instead of the closest thing the warehouse has to a a parent figure or a, a guiding hand or whatever, whatever you want to call Mrs. Frederick, like, uh, rubs me the wrong way. Like, if you cut out that scene, it w the episode would stand a lot better. Because, like, torturing someone to death with a magic doorknob? Okay. Torturing someone to death with a magic waterboarding war crimes badge? That makes it sound like you're, you're, you're trying to rip it from the headlines as best as you can. Yeah, at, at the very least, even if you're not talking about our present, you are utilizing a tool of... Like, the the nature of it being, you know, a Japanese general who specialized in uh, doing biological warfare and stuff. Like, it's not, it's not a neutral choice yeah. to draw that sort of parallel and then use it. Yeah, exactly. Like, 
again, torture... Like, if they had just shown the torturing with the magic triangle shirtwaist factory fire doorknob, okay, like, that's... That's fucked right. up, but it's okay to show... But, like, it's a villain doing yeah. it. It's supposed to be fucked up. And the nature of the artifact is it exists out of a tragedy. Yeah, like... Like, yeah, and no one was commending you for locking people in the shirtwaist factory. Yeah, like, yeah, the shirtwaist factory fire was bad, and, like, hell, it was, like, widely, it was widely known and considered to be bad at the time. By, right. It was bad enough Where to, like... giving someone a medal is an endorsement of what they do. Yeah, like... So a medal for that is an endorsement of that y- thing. Yeah, like, the shirtwaist factory fire was bad enough that, like, it's... Why we have fire codes? Like, right. but yeah, the metal is yeah, like you said, like it's we're using this. Yeah, we're I, using this symbol of government-sponsored atrocities to do a government-sponsored atrocity to you, specifically one that is being ripped from the headlines from the actual government. Yeah, and has been illegal it, for three years now. <sighs> Yeah, it's, uh, well, I, I think we've said all there is to say yeah. on it. Uh, shall we wrap it up? Yeah, let's wrap it. Uh, truly it was a Warehouse 13. I've been Princess Grace. You can find my writing programs, podcast posts, everything else is fit to plug at princess.software. Timmy, where can we find you? I'm, as usual, Timmy at George.horse. See you next week, folks, when I hope that episode will be less infuriating.